This morning we will be looking at the last section of Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. And so if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not consider, excuse me, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would open up your word to us. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, our eyes would be opened, our ears would be unstopped, and our hearts would be tender to receive your word. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. So we come now this morning to the last section of Romans chapter 4. We have been looking in chapter 4 at the doctrine of justification, that is, being right with God by faith alone. Paul has said a great deal about faith. He's told us that we cannot be right with God by obedience to the law, because that is impossible, and that the law only works wrath upon us. So we have to look elsewhere outside of ourselves. Then Paul was describing how we, where we are to look is to the Lord and to His promise. And we do this by faith. So this, I think, raises a good question in our minds. If we are to look to the Lord by faith, what is faith? What does faith look like? How do I know if I have faith? What does it mean to trust God? How do I understand what faith is? And so now Paul is going to show us what faith is. He's going to continue giving us the illustration and example from the life of Abraham. But now he's turning his attention to faith itself. And this morning I would like us to see three things about faith. First, as Paul discusses Abraham... He points out faith in God's word. That is, that faith is directed toward the word of God. Second, he shows us that Abraham had faith instead of doubt. That faith replaces doubt. It is a trust we have in God. 
and that relieves our doubts and cares. And then finally, we see that there is indeed a connection between Abraham's faith and ours. That Abraham's faith is not just something that we observe, it is something that we act upon, that we must take for our own. Faith in God's word, faith instead of doubt, and Abraham's faith and ours. Well, let's begin then first by looking at faith in God's word. The first thing that Paul tells us about faith is that it is focused upon the word of God. And the word of God alone. Last week we saw that Abraham believed God. And there were two reasons Paul gave to us why Abraham believed God. First, that God is the one who brings life to the dead. And then secondly, he is the one that brings his will to pass. He is the one who calls things that are not into existence. And they are. And so now Paul is going to tell us what that belief looked like. And he starts with God's word. He opens our passage this morning with a difficult phrase. In verse 18, in hope he believed against hope. Now at first glance this doesn't make any sense. How is hope against hope? What are you saying Paul? What does this mean? But if we can understand what Abraham hoped in, if we can see what God gave Abraham to have this hope, then we can see what Paul is saying. Abraham believed what God said, and that gave him hope. Faith enabled Abraham to believe in the promise of God. And so all Abraham had was God's bare word. The promise that Paul summarizes in this way. So shall your offspring be. Now what this means is, is that there was no reason on a human level that Abraham should have believed that promise. Nothing had happened and nothing seemed likely to happen to make that promise come true. There was no human hope. There was no human optimism that Abraham would have. And so Abraham had to hope against that kind of hope. He had to find hope in something other than his circumstances and reality, if you were. He had to hope in God and his word. Because the only thing Abraham had was the spoken word of God. But that was enough for Abraham. What a promise... God had given to him. God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of many natural descendants and that the nations of the earth would all be blessed through him. In that promise was found a promise that the Messiah would come from Abraham and that the blessing that would come to the world would come through Abraham. So we might ask ourselves, where was the support that Abraham had that he could look to for this promise? Where could he find some some backup, as it were? And the answer is, there is none. There were no examples of such old couples having children in Abraham's day, especially many children. Abraham himself had doubted this promise 14 years before. You may remember that when this promise first came to Abraham in Genesis 15... 
Abraham was old, about 85 years old. And he did not believe that God could bring this promise about through him and Sarah. And so he tried to find a loophole to the promise by bringing in Hagar and trying to fulfill the promise himself through her. But now it's 14 years later and everything is even more difficult. Everything around Abraham would say that this promise is crazy. That it's untrue. Yet Abraham believed. Why? Just because God said it. That's the only reason he believed. And this is a good example for you and for me. Not that I want you to go home and wonder how many descendants you might have. No. But the fact is, we have the same kind of wild promise. As sinners... We have no hope of forgiveness. Paul has just told us that there is nothing that we can do that will make us right with God. For many of us, we even have not experienced human forgiveness. The idea of forgiveness, humanly speaking, seems hopeless. Perhaps you have wandered about for years seeking reconciliation and forgiveness from someone else and have not found it. But God gives us the promise in his word. Whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, should not perish, but have eternal life. What a wild, generous promise we have. Now we have nothing apart from God's word that we should believe that. As a matter of fact, we don't even know what eternal life is. We've never experienced it. We haven't talked to someone who can tell us all about it. But by believing God's word alone, we can have eternal life. You see, it is faith in God's word and God's word alone, apart from all other supports that we are called to. This is why the Bible is so important to us. It's not because the Bible has some kind of magical property that can change reality. It's because the Bible is God's word to us. It is His promises to us. And faith believes what God has said in His word is true, no matter how impossible it seems. Do you trust God's word this morning? Do you trust that what he has said is true? Not just generically, not just for others, but for you today. That the promises of God in his word are promises you can claim and they are sure and steadfast. The second thing that we see about faith in God's word that Abraham exemplified is that he had a faith despite appearances. For Abraham, it was not just that he believed what God had promised. No, he did so in spite of the appearance of the whole world around him. From a human perspective, Abraham's situation was hopeless. It was bad enough, as we've said in Genesis 15, when Abraham was 85 years old. But now by Genesis 17, he, as Paul tells us in verse 19 about a hundred years old, just about dead as it were. 
Even more, God's promise did not allow Abraham to find a creative loophole. You know, sometimes we think we can find a solution if we just think hard enough and work hard enough. That's actually one of the things that was a main part of my life before I was in the ministry as I was a lawyer. One of the things that lawyers do is we try to find creative solutions to problems. Loopholes, as it were. We try to find ways around the problem. But Abraham had no such loophole because not only was he old, God specifically told him in Genesis 17, 16 that it was to be Sarah who was to bear the son. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Not only was Sarah old, not as old as Abraham, but close, but she had been barren for decades, well past the time of women bearing children. Everything that Abraham could see said, this is never going to happen. So what does Abraham do? Now there's an interesting answer that comes to us and it's highlighted by what we might call a textual variant. So I'm going to take just a moment and explain this to you. In verse 19 we read, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. Now, Some manuscripts of the Bible have the word not included here. He did not weaken in faith when he did not consider his own body. Now, you may know that we have about 6,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. Just to give you an idea about how reliable that is, other authors that we take for granted all the time are people like Caesar, 250 copies. Plato, 200 copies. The history of Thucydides and the Spartan War, 100 copies. So we have many, many copies of God's Word. And all of these copies agree in 99 point something of their word and word order. This happens to be one of the problems It's one word difference in some of the manuscripts. And why I'm taking the time to show you this is I want you to see that the problem is no problem at all. Because in this instance, whether or not you have the not, the meaning is the exact same. Either Abraham didn't think about his body at all and looked to God, or he looked at his body and saw it was a problem and did what? Looked to God. In either way, it's the same point. Abraham's not staying on the here and the now. He's not fixing his eyes on himself, but fixing his eyes on the Lord. The point is, Abraham did not get wrapped up in the so-called reality of the situation. He looked past everything. He looked past everything that was in the way between him and God. He didn't grow weak and doubt But instead, he grew stronger in faith, Paul tells us in verse 20. He grew stronger in faith because he looked to God's word. As we look to God's word, our faith grows and is strengthened. Now, this is a model of faith for us. Because if you think about it, there are people around you all the time that will seek to drag you down. To make you take your eyes off of the promise of God to tell you what reality is and what you should believe and why you shouldn't trust the promise and why you shouldn't have hope and why you should be discouraged and depressed. 
There are temptations even in our own circumstances that make us think that they're so bad that we have no hope at all. We think to ourselves, there is no way that my marriage can be saved. It's hopeless. There's no way my children will ever walk with the Lord. I see the situation. I see the handwriting on the wall. It's hopeless. Some of you younger people might say, there's no way I could ever have the kind of relationship with Jesus that my parents and grandparents had. It's hopeless. But what Paul tells us is that faith stands with the word of God. And it trusts him. Even when the evidence appears to the contrary. Abraham did not focus on himself and his own infirmities and his own problems. He looked instead to the Lord. Because you see, a person of faith is not someone who never doubts. A person of faith is someone who overcomes doubts. Faith doesn't avoid doubts. Faith overcomes them. That's what we see in the example of Abraham. If you don't think Abraham didn't shake his head some evening and say, I wonder how this is all going to work out, you don't know much about people. But at the same time, he said, I'm not going to dwell on that. God said it, I believe it, and I'm going to trust him. Now, all of this talk about Abraham's faith could actually be a bit discouraging. We think that Abraham had faith where we have doubt we think that Abraham's faith is a big faith, a firm faith, but, but mine isn't. I'm not Abraham. I don't have the kind of faith that Abraham had. And now this would be discouraging to you if it were true. If it were true that faith depended on the one believing. But you see, Paul tells us that it doesn't. Paul makes clear that the strength of Abraham's faith was not in him, but rather in God As he looked to him. Abraham's faith was a faith in a worthy God. In a God who was worthy of being trusted. How could Abraham's faith be so strong? Paul tells us it didn't grow weak through circumstances in verse 19. And he didn't waver through unbelief in verse 20. This word waver is sometimes translated uh, stagger or to hesitate, or to be of two minds, or to go back and forth. But Abraham did not go back and forth because circumstances were hard against him. Instead, he grew strong. Now, how did he grow strong? Paul tells us he grew strong as he gave glory to God. Now, I want you to see here, there is a difference in prepositions. Abraham did not just look to God. Abraham looked at God. Abraham's gaze was focused on God. He was contemplating the one who had made the promise. He was considering who God is. That's what had the great effect on Abraham. And he would have started, I think, by looking at God's attributes. Who is God? He might have first thought about the eternality of God. That God is without beginning and without end. That He is not created. That He's not dependent upon anyone. That God is completely sufficient in Himself. 
He might also think about the majesty of God. That God has created all things and that He upholds all things by the word of His power. He might have thought about the holiness of God. God's perfection and His purity. In short, Abraham believed in the hope that God had put before him because it was God who put it before him. And so as we give glory to God, we grow strong in faith. That's the nature of faith. It looks outside of itself to another. Faith is trusting another, not myself. Now notice what Paul says. (coughs) It was as Abraham gave glory to God that he grew strong in the faith. Or we might say, instead of grew strong, he was enabled in his faith. His faith became more capable as he looked to God. It was something that happened as he looked to God. So do you want stronger faith? Do you want to fight the doubt in your life? Then the answer is not to convince yourself that you are able. The answer is to look to God. He is the one who is worthy of your trust. There is no one else like him. Abraham also fought doubt by contemplating God's ability. He had not only a faith in a worthy God, he had faith in an able God. Now, there is an element of faith that Abraham had that goes beyond being strengthened. We're told in verse 21 that he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, the word itself means to be completely confident, certain of something. It is also often translated fully assured or fully persuaded. Abraham was completely persuaded and fully assured that God was able. Now, how would he be able to do this? I think once again, he has to look at God. He might think about the attribute of God as being omnipresent. That God is everywhere. That there's nowhere you can go that is beyond the reach of God. You don't need to worry this morning whether you've been left on your own because God is busy in China or in Uganda. You don't have to be concerned because you've moved from one place to another that maybe God's forgotten where you are. That he's busy with so many other millions and millions of people. No, The nature of God is that He is omnipresent. He is always with you. But it's not just that. God is also omniscient. God knows all things, not just more things than you, not just more things than us put together, but He knows all things. That means God knows all your needs. He knows what's best for you. He knows you better than you know you. How's that for confidence building? And then, of course, God is omnipotent. There is nothing that God can't do. There is nothing beyond His power. God is not slack. He's not short-sighted. He's not unable. So knowing this, what was Abraham fully convinced of? He was convinced that God not only had promised to him, but that he was able to keep his promise. And so he looked to the Lord and saw that the Lord does not make promises lightly 
or thoughtlessly. Now, we know what that's like, don't we? This happens all the time in families. I do it all the time. I make promises that I'm not certain, I haven't thought through if I can fulfill them. And then you have this kind of discussion with children where the penultimate argument that a child uses in this case is something like this. But you promised. And your response has to be something like, well, I know I promised I would take you out driving so you could learn how to drive, but I didn't look at my calendar. I didn't realize I had an appointment. I can't keep that promise. But you promised you'd help me with my homework. Yes. That was before you told me it was math homework. That's beyond my ability. I may have promised it, but I can't deliver. I'm not able. But you promised. I didn't think through that enough. I didn't ask enough questions. I didn't figure this out. This is what we do all the time. God never does this. He knows all things. He is able to do all things. He always delivers on what he promises. He never promises without the intention of delivering. And he is always able to deliver. Weak faith looks at ourselves and at our ability to deliver. Strong faith looks to God and to his ability to deliver. Let me give you an example from the pages of Scripture. Do you remember the scene in Matthew 14 where Jesus is walking on the water and he calls Peter out to come to him? And Peter looks at Jesus, the text tells us, and he goes out onto the water. And he's walking on water as well, going with his eyes fixed on Jesus. But then what does Peter do? He begins to look down. And I imagine he looks at his feet and he realizes he's not the most stable of foot. And the sea begins to lap at his legs and he sees that. And his thoughts being an experienced fisherman of all of the incidents at sea that he's seen or heard about. All of the people who've been hurt and died at sea. That begins to crowd into his mind. He begins to understand, I can't do this. And the truth is, Peter can't. But when he's focused upon himself, he begins to sink. He takes his eyes off Jesus. This is exactly how the Bible describes faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And when it says that, it doesn't mean some sort of vague and uncertain thought. But it means an actual substitute reality. One way to define the word assurance is to speak about it like a guarantee of ownership, title to a car, a deed to a house. It's something certain that lets us know that what we possess is ours and it is real. That's what faith is. Faith is the assurance of the promise that God has given to us. It also calls faith The conviction of things not seen. And this is the proof or the test that has been passed. The word conviction here is used to describe a cross-examination that is done to prove a case. Faith proves that the promises of God are true and trustworthy. Faith is not believism. Where we persuade ourselves that we're going to believe something. 
Rather, instead, faith is from the heart and takes in the whole person. We trust the Lord. And it is wrong to think about faith apart from its object. Paul makes that clear here. Abraham looked to God, and because of that, his faith was strong. And because of that, it was counted to him as righteousness. It was the object of Abraham's faith. The Lord is calling you today to faith. Not some sort of vague notion that everything will be all right. No, He's calling you to a very specific trust in Him and in His promises. That He is the true promiser and that He is able to keep His promise. That is your hope. Finally, Paul wants us to know that Abraham and his faith are applicable to us. That this is not just some nice story. It's not so that we can look upon Abraham and be glad for the victory that he won. We can't ignore this and say, well, Abraham's circumstances don't apply to me. No. Abraham's faith and our faith are to be one and the same. There is only one way to trust in God. And Paul couldn't make this any clearer than he does in verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. You see, the culmination of Abraham's story in chapter 4 is that his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That's the point that Paul has been building up to from the beginning of the letter. All sinners need a righteousness before God. And Abraham's life shows us that it is by faith that that righteousness comes. And so now Paul is applying a principle that he'll use later in this letter, in chapter 15, as well as in 1 Corinthians 10 and other places, that these things that are written were written for our instruction. If we are to have righteousness, it can only come by faith. And we must believe the word of God. And we must not be pulled aside by the ways of the world. We must not be drawn astray by circumstances. We must see that God is able to keep his promises to us. And that he is worthy to be trusted. And so faith causes both Abraham... And it must cause us to act. Now, there are two great truths of the Bible that we cannot compromise and we cannot forget. The first is that we are saved by faith alone. Paul makes that point in Romans. He makes that point clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. It is found all throughout the pages of Scripture. Saved by faith alone. But secondly, the faith that saves is never alone. Because true faith causes us to act in accordance with real reality. We begin to see the world as it is. And so we act in accordance with it. We see this in the example of Abraham. He was told, you may recall, to change his name from Abram to Abraham. Now, Abram means father of many. 
Now, you could just imagine what it would be like to go decade after decade and be childless, and your name is father of many. Right? You can imagine the good-natured ribbing that he would get from everyone around him. And so now God comes to Abraham and he says, you need to change your name. Okay, God, what should it be? Faithful one? What should it be? Follower of the Lord? What should it be? No. Father of a multitude of nations. What? Now you could just imagine how people would respond to that. They would have thought he was crazy. They would have mocked him. But what did Abraham do? He changed his name. Even though everything around him said that was crazy. He changed his name because he acted in accordance with the promise of God. Something simple as a name, but if you think about it, that's something that Abraham would have had to live with every single day. Every time he walked up to someone and they said, Hi, what's your name? He'd have to say, I'm Abraham. And they'd say, oh, do you have 10, 15, 20 kids? How many? One. Can you imagine that? But Abraham trusted God. And he lived his life in light of that. Do you trust God? Are you living your life in light of the promises of God? Are you living not for this world, but for another city? A heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. That is what faith is calling you to today. To live in accordance with faith. Now this living by faith is not just about what I do here and now. Yes, that is important. But it is about more than that. It is about my relationship with God. And so we see here at the conclusion of our passage... The mature expression of faith. Now, everything Abraham believed was because of his faith in the Lord. And his faith was in the Lord because of who God is. He trusted God because God is trustworthy. And because Abraham desired to be with God. But the thing is, the actual most mature expression of faith is not Abraham's. Abraham believed God's promise that he would be a blessing to the nations. But he didn't know exactly how that would come about. He didn't understand how that would be fulfilled. Hebrews 11 here is helpful to us. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles, On the earth. What Paul tells us is, is that we have the most mature expression of faith. Not because of who we are, but because we have received the most mature revelation of the promise. We believe in God, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says. We believe in God, who delivered up Jesus Christ. For our trespasses, that Jesus died for our sins. And we believe that Jesus was raised for our justification. That is, that he was without sin. That he defeated sin, and because of that, sin could not hold him. That kind of faith is the faith that saves. In conclusion, 
Abraham is not just a nice story. He's not even a hero that we should copy. He wished he had seen the day that we see. He wished he had seen the full nature of the expression of the promise of God fulfilled in Jesus. You have. Do you believe the Lord? Do you believe that Jesus has done all that is necessary for your sins to be forgiven and for you to stand righteous before God? Trust in the Lord and look to Him and your faith will be strong and your hope will be secure in spite of all of your trials, all of your troubles, all of your circumstances. God does not take away all of your problems in a moment. But He does tell you that there is hope for you. It is the hope that is found in Jesus. Let's pray.